everybody. Welcome to episode 44 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. What's up, man? Hello. You doing well? Good. It's Friday afternoon. It is, man. Yeah. It is. I've uh, I've knocked the, the work out for the day, for the week. Same. And now I'm ready to record the Mountain Bike Podcast. Good times. We can talk about mountain bikes and things. Yeah, it's what we do, man. Mm-hmm. You can find out more about it, mountainbikepodcast.com. Submit questions, buy stuff there. That stuff then goes into a fund that we can use to deliver some unique content to you, which we actually had some some big meetings this week. We did. Yeah. Um, meetings about things. About using those funds for specific things to bring you guys more content things. Not mm-hmm. just with us, but with, with other high muckety mucks, so yeah. to speak. So do they like being called muckety mucks? Not sure. Way? Not sure. Sounds kind of condescending. It's, it's not supposed to be okay. like, that's like a, you know, the muckety mucks are like the higher ups. Ah, the hoity toity ones. Indeed. You know, not necessarily hoity toity because they're not pretentious. Okay. You know, they're just the, they're just top level folk. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's yes, really where we're getting. Um, anywho. So you, that's where, if you buy anything like that, that's where those funds go to. It goes to buying more of those things. So then we can sell them to you. And then you guys can then provide us with funding that we keep separate and then we just dedicate to making more content. So for example, uh, traveling to Sedona, Arizona, like we're going to, yes. uh, for the Sedona mountain bike festival, mm-hmm. we're going to, our intent there is to demo as many bikes as possible with giving them a fair shot so that we can deliver actionable insight for you guys. Yes. So start letting us know which bikes you want us to demo, for example, like throw them in and then we'll start keeping a tally. And like, if you want our feedback on a specific bike, because you're curious about it, or maybe you're thinking about buying one or something, or maybe you have one and you're wondering why you feel like it does something that you dislike or something like that, whatever it might be, let us know which bikes you want us to review. And you can just do that just by going to mountain bike podcast and then drop us a line on there in the contact form. Yep. So that'll help us be more specific in delivering exactly what you guys want instead of just uh, reviewing whatever things we want. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's going to be good times. And then Sea Otter, you're going to Sea Otter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, going to do all kinds of things at Sea Otter. You're going to do Grand Fondo things in your there. I'm going to do the Gravel Fondo, I think. Okay, a oh, Gravel um, Fondo. I not, the, not the road one? No, not the road one. Why would I do that? Yeah, that I sounds know. terrible. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 No, I'm going to do the Gravel Fondo because it's a friend of mine. Um, it's uh, Jamie Horner. She's a good friend of mine, and it's her birthday weekend. And uh, there's a big group of, uh, I don't know, like 20 of us going down. Nice. 25 of us. I don't know. There's a big group that yeah. we, we bought um, or rented uh, 12 camp spots. So we pretty much Jeez. took one entire section. So the one person who rented a spot in between the seven on one side and the five on the other. They're your family. We apologize. <laughs> or they're just your family. Maybe or, they'll be happy. Exactly. Maybe they will. <laughs> yeah. So um, so we're going to be down there camping and uh, doing the gravel fondo. But I'm also going to bring the Jekyll. And uh, I, might, cool. I might do some other racing as well. I don't know yet. I don't know what I want to do. Downhill? I might do the downhill. I might do the enduro. I don't know. Well, enduro is Thursday morning. I know. Yeah. It's... I'm supposed to do the enduro. I'm signed up to do the enduro and the XC race. So you got a Thursday and a Sunday race. Yeah, man. And and first of all, I don't like racing on Sundays at all. Uh, I try to not do that ever. Yeah. Uh, religious thing. Uh, I try to keep that day separate and, mm-hmm. and unique. Uh, but at the same time, like I don't I want to do that XC race anyway because that's a terrible XC race. Yeah, I mean it's a gravel race. It is. Did you know that? So at Sea Otter and Sea Otter, we love you. You do so many things so right, but your XC course, I know that people will keep paying for it. So I understand why put money into something if it's really not going to make that big of a difference in terms of more money coming in because they fill up anyway Yeah, as is, but man, like you go up. So the enduro course, 
overlaps the XC course in certain regions. Yes, it does. Basically, any enduro stage, like the single track descent of an enduro stage, you can be guaranteed that that is an uphill in the XC race Which instead of down. climbing, cool. Cool. Yeah. But then here's the problem. You turn around, you go down a fire road, and then you touch onto a normal road, and you go, you descend down fire roads and normal roads. Yeah. You should climb up that because that's where the, I mean, fun aside, that's where the passing happens. Exactly. And that's the worst thing about Sea Otter. And that's why I don't like the XC race is because it's impossible to pass people where I have an advantage, where I descend faster than most XC racers. I can't do anything about it. Yeah. And when it comes to the climbs on a fire road, I, yeah. They should fix that. And I know that a lot of people like a big lap. I'm in the minority perhaps, and I don't like a big lap. I like smaller, shorter, shorter loops. Okay. And I'm fine with doing that over and over and over again. Okay. Um, I usually like that because that gives me like a, a chance to like iterate and work on things. But I also feel like it's much more fun because it's more spectator friendly. Yes. Um, so, and that's something that I look at like the pro course that they have. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's short. It's right there in the venue. It happens right by the dual solemn course, right by everything else. Yeah. And it, it would be great if they opened that up, at the very least to Cat 1, guys, but it doesn't make sense to not open it up to everybody. Like, that's where your XC course should be. You wouldn't have to spend so much time marking the course out there mm-hmm. and doing a huge long loop. You don't have to worry about maintaining that. Imagine Less sea volunteers otter. for course marshals. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so maybe you could save money, Sea yeah. Otter. That would be good. Yeah. So anyways, uh, we're going to be going to Sea Otter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be doing some stuff for Trainer Robe while I'm there, um, but uh, th- which could be pretty fun. So if you're a Trainer Robe person, tune into the podcast for more info there. But um, but if you're not, uh, we'll also be doing some some mountain bike podcast stuff, I'm sure. Yes, too. we will. So, yeah. Let us know if you're going to Sea Otter or Sedona. Uh, Steven, shall we get into news? We got a little bit, so let's do it. Nice. News team, assemble! So first bit of news, uh, Santa Cruz. Yeah. You like what they're doing? Yeah, actually. So we, we got some grief a while back because we were joking about the stereotype Santa Cruz bros. Yeah. You know, we, we still love Santa Cruz. They we make do. good bikes. And we still love good the bros. People. We love the bros too. Yeah. Make fun of, man, dude, I wear Lycra. Yeah. Like I'm an easy target. You can make fun of me all day. Totally. Um, but this is something that's pretty cool they're doing. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. Why don't you, why don't you introduce it, Steve? Uh, so basically after, um, after the wildfires, in California, they're basically doing a raffle to give away two ridiculously custom high-end painted uh, fire rescue themed bikes. They're awesome. Yeah, they're really awesome. They're really cool. I, I really, I'm partial. So they they designed the frames and then the component spec is totally unique, by the way. Totally. Which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but they designed the frames. One of them is based off of a fire engine. I hope that's what you say. Probably probably a firefighter is going to write in and say, it's not called a fire engine, it's called something else. I apologize if that's the case. It's not a hook and ladder thing. <laughs> sure, yeah. It's yeah. It's got water, and it's a truck, <laughs> and it's red. And firefighters um, drive around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they also did the, the Cal Fire helicopter that they yes. have, and I like that one, man. Yes, oh, absolutely. That one looks really cool. It's like a white motif, and then it's got like some red stripes just like the helicopter does. And then the, the fire engine one is fire engine red Mm -hmm. and it has the white stripe just like it would. And then it has the, the gold lettering in Santa Cruz, which is going to be, yeah, doing some gold leaf lettering. It's going to be great. Oh, it looks really good, man. Uh, and then they have uh, the cranks on that thing. What are those? (sighs) Those are white cranks. Those are white industries. Yeah. They're beautiful. 
it's a throwback to like the 90s BMX. Think like croupy three-piece cranks. Oh, they're so yeah, beautiful. And if you think about it, the fire engines always have a ton of chrome on them. Absolutely. So it makes sense that yeah. they put the chrome cranks on there. They even have like the lit, if you look at the linkages, the yeah. linkages are painted chrome. Yeah, the VPP links, the uppers and lowers are all either polished or chromed. I don't know oh, which one. Pretty, but yeah. man. Um, really pretty stuff. And then they have, in, if you look at the, the one that's the, the one matching the helicopter, it's just beautiful. It looks very racy. It really uh, is. Yeah, that is a beautiful bike. Anyway, we're just stuck staring at the pictures right now. We got a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sorry. <laughs> this makes for bad podcast, right? If yeah. we're just sitting here talking about something we see and you can't see. Anyways, I would recommend going on to whatever your favorite mountain bike site is and checking this out. And if you can somehow jump in on that auction, I by all means recommend you do so because it goes toward a good cause and those bikes are amazing. So, Absolutely. Um, another race that I wanted to show or throw up to – our homies to the north of us, Stephen, mm-hmm. well, to the northeast a bit. Yeah. They even share, like, a, they share a chimney. <clears throat> Their chimney is actually at the base of Canada, uh, Idaho. Okay. Our Idaho friends. <laughs> yes. They have a nor- the North American Enduro Cup. Uh, that's going to be going on at Silver Mountain Resort. It's in the Bitterroots up in Kellogg, Idaho. I think that that's part of like their Idaho Enduro series that they have, but mm-hmm. it's also, in this case, it's going to overlap, and it's going to be um, an EWS qualifier. Oh, it's it's EWS. It's Montana Enduro Series, uh, Cascadia Dirt Cup. It's all of them are coming in for this one event. It's so a big much overlap. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so much fun to go do, man. Yeah. Um, anywho, I would love to go do that. That would be a cool race. I just don't think we're going to have time this year. Yeah, but June 30th, July 1st. It's, yeah. Oh, that's a complex time. R- right after Carson City Off-Road. And yeah, it's a, it's a complex time for the summer. It's like one week before I do that Tahoe Trail 100 race that I have to use to qualify for Leadville. That's terrible. Yeah, I did the lottery thing. And you did not. For what? the second year in a row and didn't get it. That's what you get for not gambling your entire life. <laughs> True story. <laughs> You're not good at it yet. I think that like they look at me and they're like, because they ask, like, do you have, like, a special story? And I'm like, no, I don't, actually. I'm very average. <laughs> you, should, like, you should tell them the story about you folding the front wheel uh, when you were on your mission. On my mission? Yeah, and you had to walk the bike, like, 15 miles should back I to town. Should I just tell them a story? Like, uh, four, or like what, eight years ago when I was in Chile, I was riding my first mountain bike, and I tacoed a wheel, and I had a very long walk back. And then I should just, like, leave it there and yeah. assume that they should just bridge the gap and think that I'm, like – Somebody that tacoed a wheel eight years ago in a foreign country, and yeah, it's a great story. I don't know, I don't know, man. I, I'm just not. They don't like me at Leadville. That's fair. They don't want me in the race. Okay. That's so, fine. Yeah. yeah, all my other friends got in. Yeah, no, just <laughs> kidding. A bunch didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Anyways, uh, so Leadville things will happen this year. You'll hear plenty about that. Yeah. In, in many respects, um, I'm I'm really doing this so that I can better understand a huge part of our market at Trainer Road that preps for Leadville. Yeah. I shouldn't say a huge part. Um, the minority are mountain bikers for sure, but a lot of mountain bikers and a lot of roadies want to do Leadville because yep. it benefits them. So I want to be able to understand them and know exactly what they go through, exactly what they need to prepare for, mm-hmm. everything else like that, because I feel like it'll make us better. So yeah, if you ask me, what do you want to do on that Saturday? Ride your local trails for 10 hours or ride, or for eight hours, hopefully. Ride for your local trails for eight hours or go ride at Leadville for eight hours. I would say give me local trails <laughs> 50 times to one. Yes. Man. It just doesn't sound like uh, my type of riding, but I want to understand why uh, the mystique behind it. And I know, man, it's a heck of a hard race. So, yeah. 
Anywho, that covers uh, the news, I guess. Yeah, we didn't have a whole lot this week. No, it's you know what I noticed, like on Pink Bike, it's basically bro edit season. It is. It's it's broed it season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it. like yeah. it's like they couldn't get the edits out because bros are just too busy smashing laps at Whistler. So, but now that the lifts are closed and and things are wet and snowy, it's like, what else am I going to do? But all finish my all my shreddits, yeah. right? And then pink back, just put them all up on there. Yeah. So it's it's bro shreddit season. They're trying sure. to really like stock up for uh, video and uh, photo of the year for 2018. They're like bears. Yeah, they're st- <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there you go. There we are. Okay, uh, Stephen, shall we get into the questions? We shall. Question. It's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. First question is from Brandon. He says, hey, guys, great podcast. I like to listen to you on my commute to work. Last episode, I heard a guy ask a question about his hub on his intense tracer and wanted to go to Eagle on a primer. Um, so I, first of all, I'm going to – this is less a question, more just a hint. Yes. So, uh, Or I should say a helpful hint, which, by the way, you guys are awesome. When you hear somebody else have a problem and you send in, a, send in an answer like this, this is really cool. He says, I have an aluminum 2016 tracer with the intense hubs, and I was able to go Eagle on it. My buddy is a mechanic and figured out what to do. It's actually an old style SRAM hub with an XD driver in it. I may be wrong on the driver, but he told me that for future reference that it has a SRAM M as in Mary T as in Tango. Yes. H as in hotel. Yes. Seven, four, six hub. He got a driver for it that made it compatible with the gold Eagle. Ah, Yes, the bird. And he says, just thought I'd pass it along. Good to hear. Good to hear. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. I, I love that, man. Can I, when our listeners help other listeners. Absolutely. That's cool, man. That's cool. And next is from Fruita Guy, not Fruity Guy. <clears throat> Side yeah. note on that, whenever you drive into California, now they always stop you to ask if you have fruit. Yeah. Whenever we would drive across, my brother would always like point just over to me guy. and be like, just that guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> just him. Yeah. Good old, bro- or good big brother there. So yeah. uh, he says, lived in Salt Lake for a decade now and live in Fruita, Colorado. You have a guy wanting advice on where to attend college with mountain biking in the mind. That guy should come to Grand Junction, Colorado, hands down to attend Colorado Mesa University. The college cycling team is fantastic and the access to incredible riding is better than Salt Lake. Way less crowded. That's for sure. It would yeah. be less crowded. In addition to great riding in Grand Junction, Fruta, Moab is not far. Easy to make a day trip to Moab, only 60 miles away. And it's funny that we didn't even think about this. And I drove through Fruta and Grand Junction this last summer and thought, wow, this is a great location. If you don't mind living outside of a city, yeah, it's great. There you go. Yeah, yeah. that could be it. So I, I would definitely say that with U of U, you probably have like a bigger university and, and, or, and a bigger city if for some reason you need that. But yeah. yeah, he makes a great point. I mean, I've never ridden Fruita or Grand Junction. I hope to this year. I've had coffee there. <laughs> was it good? Yeah, it was good coffee. <laughs> great. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. I've ridden Moab uh, plenty of times. I think Moab's cool, but I also, uh, I feel like I built up Moab maybe a little too much. And I think the next time I go to Moab, because I've been there two times now, and I think the next time I go there, I feel like my expectations will finally have settled in the proper spot and I'll enjoy it. Gotcha. I did enjoy it last time a little more, but okay. the first time I was like, meh, it's okay. You know, yeah. Um, I just built it up a little too much. It's very, it feels very one dimensional in one respect. Like once you ride one trail, you start to feel like th- it's really similar. Yeah. Like a lot of the trails there, unless you ride something like the whole enchilada, which is very unique all the way down. Yeah. Like, it, you know, you kind of go through these phases, but yeah. 
Anywho, uh, next one is from Alex. He says, hi guys, I'm from Canberra, Australia. I love your podcast, five-star review on Apple. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. You can leave those reviews, by the way. Please do so. That helps us out a ton. Uh Uh, I think that we, in terms of reviews, we might be the most popular mountain bike podcast out there right now. We are. Um, Yeah. Keep it up, please. Yes. He says, question, I have a giant Anthem Advanced SX. I sadly had a stack on a rock and I scratched the top part of my stanchion on my 130 millimeter pike fork. Will this affect my fork or the fork seal? Thanks, guys. I can't tell you for sure, but you'll know pretty quickly if it does. <laughs> I hate to say it, I'm not trying to be, you yeah. know, rude or anything right, like right. that. But yeah, um, I know a lot of people that ride around with some scratches in their, in their stanchions that don't ever cause any sort of issues. Um, but then there's other ones that just start puking fluid immediately. So I've seen that. Yeah. So bottom line is if it's not leaking now, just keep your eye on it and see how it goes. See if you, you know, depending on if it's the damper side or the air side, you know, this will dictate how much of a big deal it is. Okay. Um, Which would be a bigger deal, damper or air? Uh, well, I would consider the air side because the air side, you're going to have to deal with, you know, you're dealing with air pressure behind those dust wipers and seals. So you're constantly going to be losing pressure. So, um, personally, I would, um, I would just ride it and see how it goes. If it keeps going, you know, over time, the scratch may not, you know, wear anything on the dust wipers immediately in leak, Mm -hmm. but after going back and forth, back and forth, it could, you know, kind of grind on the dust wipers eventually and then start leaking. So let's say you do get a scratch in your stanchion. Is there a way to repair that? You know, or is it best just to scrap things? Some people, and of course it varies on the scratch on this. Yeah. The severity of the scratch definitely dictates that. I know that, you know, some people, if there's a gouge deep enough, what they'll do is they'll actually build up, um, like a, like JB weld in there and then completely sand it down smooth, Hmm. but it's still sounds pretty risky. It's risky. Um, that's kind of an old school fix for it. Personally, I would just not mess with it and just replace the, the upper crown stanchion assembly. Yeah. And can can you get something like that? Just that portion from like, absolutely from Fox and rock shock. Yes. You can get a, you can get the crown stanchion. Awesome. upper assembly. Yeah. Okay, cool. So good to know. Um, I, I would also look at it if you get a scratch and for some reason there's like a little fragment of metal sticking off like that, you may be able to go in there and just like cut that off. Exactly. And yeah. then maybe you're okay to get by for a bit. Exactly. You know, um, cool. Yep. Jamie says, hi there. I have a question about the, about bike frame size. I'm five foot nine and ride a 2016 focus Sam 160 size large. The, uh, the Ollie one, he says with a 170 millimeter drop post, it climbs dropper post. It climbs well and descends even better. It's super stable at speed. It has a reach of 452 millimeters and 430, 38 millimeter chain stays. That's like, uh, the things darn near, you're darn near center punched on that bike. Oh, I thought that said 438 miles, not millimeters. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I ride a Jekyll now. <laughs> We're 420. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot lower. Anyway, he says, I run a 35 <laughs> millimeter stem. You're such a jerk. <laughs> I run a 35 millimeter stem. I've always ridden mediums in the past. And when I bought this, all I could get was a large and some of the reviews I read suggested to go a size up. I've always felt this bike was a bit long for me because manualing is doable, but requires more effort than usual. I've done all the usual things, adding riser bars, more stack height, etc. But the newest clue is after doing a 60 kilometer ride, riding seven, ride, climbing seven peaks at 2000 meters around my hometown of Wellington, New Zealand, I've developed a pain in my iliotibial band. That's your IT band. Um, would this be a sign of the frame being too large? Or is it something else? Thanks for the great podcast. Cheers, Jamie. I think that bike is way too big for him, first of all. Yeah, like, let's, let's like, not even get to the knee thing yet. Yeah. 
like you talk like the manualing thing, right? Yeah, manualing thing. One, one. I think he's doing everything wrong to make it easier to manual and ride that bike by putting riser bars, by doing a one seventy dropper post. Like this bike is way too big. When when you see the online, the people online saying go up a size, you have to consider how tall they are. Yeah. When you go up a size, those are for the people that are right on the cusp of mm. a medium and a large. Yes. At 5'9", you're firmly in a medium on pretty much any bike. Yeah. You're not 5'11", like me, where I could go back and forth on mm. a medium or yeah. a large. And something to cover on this, don't even look at, like the only reason you should look at medium-large is to find the geometry numbers on your on your chart. Yeah. Like you should not think that I'm a medium. Yeah. Or I'm a large. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, you know, like I think a lot of people just think, oh, but I've, you know, this bike is different, but I've never, I've only ridden mediums my whole life. I've never ridden a large. Uh, I guess I should get her. Somebody well, what's the said reach I should on this it. medium versus that exactly. medium or whatever, stand over heights, whatever. Look at, look at the, the actual data and the effective data. So yes. look at like the top tube length, effective top tube length. Yeah. Or better yet, just look at reach. And then reach is probably reach and stack are the two most critical they are. measurements. And and these are ones that I kind of, I, I mean, I've seen them used other places, but I guess I kind of use this term loosely. I didn't make it up or anything, but like effective stack and effective reach. Yes. So in other words, not just of the chassis, but let's say that, for example, uh, you can't get a bike in a certain size. Okay. But if you run a 20 millimeter different length stem, you might be able to make it work and still have the same effective reach, even though the top tube lengths are different. Yeah. Right. So that's, um, I'm actually in that position right now. I just got a frame, an SB55. Very exciting, by the way. So mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah. It's going to be great. Full squish, Stephen. I know. Much squish in the Lots of squish, Yeah. It's going to yeah. be good. So uh, that one, though, I, I usually ride mediums, right? Mm -hmm. So I looked at the frame, and in this case, I had the luxury of riding a medium and a large as well. I rode uh, uh, your my large Project Aurora that yeah. you had. Beautiful thing. Yeah. Still going. The one somewhere. that I didn't get to ride. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Um, but And then I also rode a medium. And riding those, to be honest, I couldn't really tell because the stem lengths were making the reach very similar. Mm -hmm. So this is a situation where you need to look at things, not just the reach of the frame, but effective reach. And so basically where your bars are going to be with that stem length on there yes. as well. So in this case, I actually ended up going for a size up. I went for a large okay. and I'm going to go for like a 35 millimeter stem on yeah. that thing, like super short stem. Yeah. And that's going to put me in the reach figures that I know I like. Mm -hmm. So I would figure out what reach figures you actually like. And that doesn't mean whatever reach figures you currently have. I would recommend getting a bike fit. Mm -hmm. And then I would recommend and make sure though, you don't just go to random Joe guy to fit you at a bike shop. Like basically if you see an XC racer that seems to be in a, in a bike fit position that doesn't look wacky and weird, mm -hmm. but he's a good racer, has a lot of experience and he's in what looks to be a good, comfortable position. Talk to that guy, see where he got his fit and then go from there. Yeah. That's what I would recommend because I think a lot of people just go to a local bike shop to get a bike fit and some dudes putting him in a position to like fit on a bike, like Greg LeMond fit on a bike back in the day. Yeah. You're sitting a foot behind the, the bottom bracket and it's just terrible. So you have to make sure that you're, you're, you're in the right spot. Could that cause knee problems? Yeah, it could totally, but it doesn't, but it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the it band stuff, there's so like, there is no answer for that. No straight up. No. And anybody that tells you there's a single answer for that, they're lying. Yeah. So the answer for any it bands is a lacrosse ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and even then, like yeah. it's not going to fix it. No, like, it's not. 
like it, it, so I, I battle with that constantly. I thought I had it licked and it's, it came back last year and it's, yeah. it was really, it's been really tough to get over. So the fact is there is no great answer on that other than the fact that if you maintain a lot of, if you maintain a strong and balanced body outside of just on the bike stuff, I think that you have a better chance at avoiding those injuries. Yeah. So a uh, bad bike fit can, can hurt it. Sure. But that's what I'd say. Yep. All right. Broke back mountain biker. Hmm. Interesting name. Yeah. He says, hello, great podcast, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He says, I'm 20 year, I am a 29-year-old rider from Norway. This summer, I am going on vacation to the Alps with my mountain bike, and I'm going to bring the bike along with me on the flight. First, I was going to uh, rent a bag, but then I started thinking about getting one for myself. I'm riding a 2018 Mach 5.5 with wide carbon wheels. So I want a bag that's big enough and safe so my precious bike and wheels won't get damaged during handling and loading on and off. I've read that baggage uh, doesn't get handled with care by the plane crew. Possibly. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not across the board. I think that there's this assumption as cyclists, we assume the worst, that they're just going to like basically play hot potato with our bike, yeah. you know? And that's not always the case. I've never had my bike broken. I've only had TSA take parts of my bike apart and lose parts. That's it. So, uh, he says, I've been looking at the evoke pro bike bag, but this is a soft case. And I guess a hard case is safer. Uh, for me stores are storing the bike when it's not in use, storing the bag when it's not in use is not an issue. Any suggestions on what I should get or specific models rock on. Honestly, I think that I have the Evoc Pro, mm -hmm. and I love that bag. Um, it fits 29, it fits 27.5 plus, mm -hmm. it fits wide wide rims. The thing you need to consider is just because you have the wide rims and just because this is a soft case does not mean that it's not going to protect your bike. Mm -hmm. Protecting your bike is keeping the thing separated mm -hmm. and padded and you know blocked between you know the frame and the fork and and all of the wheels and everything like that. Um, I've never had a single issue with my Evoc case. Um, anybody who's borrowed it has never had an issue with it. And yeah. that's with, you know, TSA and the, you know, everybody, you know, pummeling it around like a football. <laughs> um, so I honestly would stick to the e either, either the Evoc Pro or the Evoc Travel Bag XL. Yeah. I think, um, so I, I'd, I've never used the Evoc. Uh, actually, no, I take that back. I have used it once. Okay. And I was less impressed with it than my go-to bag that I have. Okay. So, which is the Bikend Jetpack, B-I-K-N-D Jetpack. Okay. Uh, that thing is solid. It is a really good case. It's stiffer than the Helium, has a little bit more support in it, has a really strong base to it that's fully connected across with adjustable length bars. I fit a size XL Yeti 4.5 in one. Okay. So it fits pretty well, uh, that, that sort of thing. And within there, I also fit a bunch of tools, a bunch of nutrition, a whole entire like tall can, like jug thing of, of recovery okay. powder, plenty of stuff. Like, yeah. So it's plenty of room. It's got nice wheels on there. It's got a great carrying or it's got a carrying handle and then it's got inflatable little, um, bags that are inflatable, like bladders, so to speak Okay. that you blow up. And then those sit there on the outside to pad your wheels from getting smashed or pad your wheels against the frame. I like that. It's really cool. Yeah. It's a good system. Um, the only downside is if you are bringing two, so I, I, I'll, I'll say it's got this really cool flip system where you can flip things around to accommodate even larger frames. Like, I think you could probably fit like a size XL, like Yeti five, five, probably. So okay. that's a pretty long wheelbase bike right yeah. there. Um, uh, but you could fit that in there. Um, but the, um, you can't fit two wheel sets 
So I don't know that that's like a total XC nerd thing, mm -hmm. but if you are bringing two wheel sets, you can't fit two wheel sets in that bag. Gotcha. They do have one called the Helium bike case, the V4 Helium case. That one does allow you to take two wheel sets. However, it does not have as great a capacity for bigger frames. So if you ride like a size large, it, your, your frame might, might not fit depending on it, gotcha. on the wheelbase, wheelbase of your bike. Okay. One thing I would recommend with this when you travel with your bike is to let some air out of your suspension. Oh yeah, absolutely. Your dropper post, same thing. Mm -hmm. Drop some pressure out of those things yes. when you're going up and down and flight things. Yeah. It's a good idea to do. Air pressure differentials, bad. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, it also will, if you drop down that the travel in your suspension, you can effectively shorten your wheelbase or shrink your bike. Exactly. Pro tips, yep. which is really helpful. Uh, other thing that I would say is pack a bunch of rags or towels in there. And what I still do, even though this bag is like very well sheltered and everything else, I still just actually drape a beach towel over my whole bike before I zip it up. Okay. And that way it just stops against abrasions. And then I pack in like, uh, rags in different spots where I feel like, eh, something might be able to push into here. So I just want it to be there. And then I have rags to clean my bike with when I assemble it or put it back in. Totally. Which is a, a handy deal. Don't bring CO2s because then TSA will flag you and then you'll probably have to go get screened and get very friendly with a TSA agent next time you go through security, yeah. which might not be fun. Uh, or they might even stop your bag, which could be a pain. Yeah. Uh, other things. I, I guess the other option that you could use is you could go, a lot of people just use a cardboard bike box. I don't like that. I don't like yeah. that either. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you like it? Well, I don't like it because it takes a lot more time to package up and make it, you know, it, 50 pounds of styrofoam later, you know, yeah. it's, it's really well insulated and really well, you know, you don't have a lot of issues there, but it's still a cardboard box. Yeah. It's not as strong as an evoke or no. a bike end or anything no. like that. Um, the hard cases I've found to be a total pain with fitting mountain bikes. Yes. Uh, I know Thule, I think has some hard cases that fit. They're gigantic. Yeah. You can practically fit a Volkswagen Beetle in those things, but and they're really nice. They're but awesome. They're, they're also not good for mountain bikes. No, they're hefty, big things. I think that they do have one that fits mountain bikes now. Yeah, but it's still, but it's, it's big, just huge. Expensive. They're, they're, they're pretty massive. I really do like the, the Biken and the Evoke. They're really good bags. Yeah. Um, I would recommend those. The other option you have is bike flights. Now I've never used bike flights. If anybody's listening that knows the people at bike flights or anything else, have them get in touch with us because we have, we're, I'm, I'm constantly flying with my bike. Yeah pretty darn regularly. Mm -hmm. And I want to try this out to see what it's like. It's actually pretty awesome. I use it all the time. Okay. So <laughs> through the shop and right, right, know, for other friends then. and selling bikes and things like that. Help me understand. To me, it seems like you get a box, mm -hmm. you put your bike in a box. Yes. You go to bike flights, bike flights, and you like track some, or you get, you prep something to ship it. They charge you something on top of what FedEx does. And then they just use FedEx to send your bike or some. Yeah. But like it's that. actually, it, it, because they ship so many bikes, they have a bigger account and bigger agreed upon pricing. Okay. So whereas lower agree, agreed upon yes, pricing. Yeah. Okay, that's gotcha. what I'm getting yeah. at. Not so, bigger. Yeah. yeah. Big prices, bad, low prices. Oh, good. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Bigger discounts. Yes. Sorry. Makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. So what it boils down to is when you go on UPS or FedEx and you put in the dimensions of a box, it doesn't matter how much the bike actually weighs. They go off of what they call uh, dimensional weight. Okay. So the weight of any bike box is going to be between 120 and 140 pounds of dimensional weight, even if it's a 17 pound road bike, because it takes up so much volume of the trailer. Okay. That's what's important okay. with them. They never, it, the mass doesn't matter. It's literally the volume of the box that takes up so much space. So for me to ship a bike on say the bike shops, 
account mm -hmm. was like $225 to ship it to say Maryland. Let's just throw Maryland out there. And is that round trip or one? Way? No, it's just one way. Okay. So that, and then, and that's really expensive. Southwest. Uh, and just, I, I realized I didn't touch on this really quick. I'm yeah. just going to jump in because yeah. that'll give us a point of reference with yeah. where we're going. Southwest is $75 each way usually. Yes. Yeah. Um, they used to be fifty dollars, now it's seventy five. Mm -hmm. Alaska Airlines is only like twenty bucks each way. They dropped that. Yeah. Uh, then you go with like United, and I th I want to say when we we just went to Hawaii with that, and I think it was one hundred and fifty each way. Okay. That's pretty pricey. That man. is pricey. Um, and then like Delta, I think that there's somewhere around United and everything else. So mm -hmm. it's it's you're looking at like best case scenario, you have something with Alaska Airlines and you're only flying, you know, it's like forty dollars. And that's I know it's a US airline, but yeah. Um, but if you're going United or something else like that, you're looking at a lot of money. Yeah. You're looking at three hundred dollars to ship your bike, and then you're trusting it in the care of you know, uh, baggage handlers. And then you're also having to go through TSA security. So you may not be able to, to ship certain things. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So. so in like with bike flights that, you know, that shipment to Maryland that might be $225 is like 110. Right. So because they have such a big volume discount. So, okay. but at the end of the day, what for me, what I don't like about sending something UPS or FedEx or through bike flights is that if I'm shipping it somewhere, I have to ship it days ahead. Mm -hmm. So I'm without my bike. I have to trust somebody to pick it, you know, to, to actually accept the delivery yeah. and inspect the bike to make sure that it wasn't damaged Yeah, and then do all of the, have all of that done and ready to go. I would rather spend more money and check the bag with Southwest and pay 150 bucks round trip Yeah, you and don't have, have to, it with me all the time. And you don't have to take your bike down quite as much either, right? Exactly. Because you're not fitting it into a tinier <clears throat> cardboard box. Yeah. 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 I could see, I could see both sides, uh, once again, I've never given bike flights a, a, a full shot personally, so um, I don't know. I do have Maybe to say, I'll use it and I'll like it, but right now I really am liking the... I, and I do have to say, um, my first experience with bike flights, they did actually destroy um, a guy who became a friend of mine because mm -hmm. of this whole situation. He had a he bought a brand new Yeti from a dealer somewhere in the rest mm -hmm. of the country, and it looks like somebody drove a forklift through the side of the box, mm -hmm. and the down tube of the SB5 was completely sheared out, and I mean, it was bad. So it's not bike flights, <clears throat> it was the shipping company. It was the shipping company. Mm -hmm. And so bike flights offers- But they can't control that. No, they can't, but That's the thing tricky. is, bike flights has their own separate insurance policies with bikes mm -hmm. where you insure it for a certain amount. And that insurance policy paid for me to call Yeti and order a new front triangle for the guy. There we go. And everything was great. And they were super easy to work with. They were, so bike flights really was like the one time that I had a damage issue with them. They were great. Okay. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah I want to yeah. give it a shot. So yeah. Uh, all right. I think that, yeah, that covers it for the questions this week, Stephen. Let's get into the business, shall we? Let's break in. It's business time. Steven, is this breaking news? <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> you dropped your own pun just before we went to, through to that transition there. So I did. We're going to talk about breaks today. We are. I, I kind of am shocked that we haven't talked about it yet. It's We've done like deep dives on a bunch of different aspects of a bicycle. We haven't talked about brakes. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't. Yeah. I mean, we have in the in the sense that we've right. we've talked about them, but we have not deep dove. Yeah, deep dove, yes. Deep <laughs> dove did. Deep doved. Doved. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I but brakes is a topic of division in the mountain bike world. Absolutely. Uh, you are I, one of one of one of three tribes, basically. Mm -hmm. 
you're either a SRAM hater. Yes. Actually, maybe you're just two tribes. You're a SRAM hater or you're not. And then there's these this weird kind of sub-tribe of the, of the SRAM haters that they're like, but I don't like Shimano either. So then they go for a different option. Well, see, that's what I was going to say. There's either your SRAM haters or your SRAM lovers, and then there's the people who like Hope. Yeah, yeah exactly. And Magura. Yeah, 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 right? <laughs> yeah. The different ones. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go over the different brake companies that, and I know that there are other brake companies that I'm sure we're missing. There are boutique brands, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. um, but we're going to go over some of the some of the main brands and go over some characteristics that these brands might have. We're going to go over brakes that are different features of brakes that you would want to have for different racing disciplines. Yeah. And then we'll talk about like different tweaks or upgrades you could do to your brakes or little things that you could do to your brakes to get more out of them. Yes. So, uh, first things first, Shimano, I think that they're the king of brakes, right? That's how they're understood. I would say yes. And fishing reels. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Fishing well, how reels, do you think their brakes work so good all those years developing fishing? <laughs> yeah. They have, so it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, those, those hydraulic disc fishing reels. Yeah. They work really well. Absolutely. Uh, SRAM. Mm-hmm. SRAM has a complicated past with brakes. Yes. Uh, I'm not a fan in, in many respects of the level ultimates. They're a complex. They're like a high maintenance. They're like, they're like the pretty high maintenance, uh, girl, right back that you, that you had like a, a high school fling with, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're really, they're, they're really effective in certain ways. They're pretty to look at cause they're really simple and clean, yeah. uh, but there's a, they're, it's their high maintenance to deal with. At the end of the day, you're glad you dated her, but you're also glad you're not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so the SRAM levels though, that they're, those are the ones I have. They're kind of problematic. However, the guides, I think it's safe to say that they've kind of erased in many respects, the bad name that came from Avids that they well, have except for, for the whole lever issues that the they've whole had. Lever with. seizing thing was a bit of a <laughs> bit of a problem. Yeah, <laughs> but they appear to have gotten that sort. Anyway, it appears to be fixed. the codes seem to be extremely good from yes. all the reviews so far. Yeah, so we'll we'll see there. Those are the two main players, and mm-hmm. then there are a bunch of other brands. Yep. Uh, which other brands have you tried? I've tried Magura. I've tried Hope. And that's it. I've tried Formula and yeah. Magura. Yeah. Haven't tried Hope. Mm-hmm. Haven't. Well, I've tried TRP, but they were like um, hydraulic disc um, the cable. hybrid yeah. ones, yeah. you know, how they have that. Yeah. So uh, so not really, I guess. That was more in cyclocrossy things. Okay. From. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really, I just have experience with Shimano SRAM and Magura really in formula. And from a maintenance standpoint, I also have experience on formulas, hopes, TRPs. I've, yeah, I've done them all. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, let's go over some things, I guess. So Shimano is known for power, I would say. Yes. Outright power and, uh, instantaneous bite. Yes. Yeah. Um, they have the weird servo feel. I don't, servo wave. Yep. Yeah. I don't like that. Okay. Um, well, then you would like XTR trails or yeah. XTR, sorry, XTR race. Race. That don't, lever Yeah, I have it. don't love that feel. Um, and I, I like my levers and uh, I guess that we'll get into this in a little bit, but I don't love how in most cases you have to do quite a, you have to do quite a lot of adjusting with the Shimano to get it to the point where it doesn't pull in very far with that servo mm-hmm. wave, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, not a big fan of that. But anyways, they're known for big power. Mm-hmm. Uh, SRAM is known for feel. Usually. Is known for better modulation and better feel. Yeah, which I love. I love that about the SRAMs. Mm-hmm. However, the inconsistent, they're known for having inconsistencies. They're trying to battle that and get away from that. Yeah. Uh, but they're known for having inconsistencies and other failure problems. Yeah. Um, even with their newest ones, they've had some issues. Mm-hmm. 
So and they also just don't have the outright breaking power of Shimano. Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say that Shimano, in addition to power reliability, they're pretty they're pretty reliable. Yes. I had a Shimano, uh, like a SLX set of brakes that were, it was like, it was just like, uh, it was like a choose your own adventure game. It was like Russian roulette. Every time you pulled the brake, you just <laughs> never knew when it was going to grab, no okay. matter what I tried to do with bleeding the thing. Okay. So, yeah. you know, it's not that they're foolproof, but in across the board, I would say that they have, they're known for their reliability Absolutely. too. Yeah. Magura. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you have anything to say about Magura? <laughs> um, I will never run their brakes ever again. Okay. Um, after Downeyville uh, 2015, um, during oh, the downhill. You melted the caliper? No, that was when, no. That's, oh, we can even go back before that then. <laughs> no, at Downeyville, I had a set of the MT8 carbons on okay. the Trigger Black Incorporated that I raced that year. Yeah. And I went to grab the front brakes coming down third divide, and uh, the lever exploded in my hand. Wow. <laughs> Not the lever, the actual whole piston plunger, that whole assembly oh, inside goodness. the carbon monoblock just fell apart. of the lever just exploded out. Oh, no. So I basically did all of third divide where you regularly hit 45 plus miles an hour with no front brakes. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Are you just like a skitty pink bike shred it bro video guy? <sighs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially following all the typical XC racers that yeah. I was trying to pass yeah. without front brakes as well. It was, Ooh. yeah. So that was the final straw. My 2015 Jekyll came with MT7s, the mm -hmm. four piston setup, and I ended up actually um, uh, coming down at Kamikaze at Mammoth. I had flames and sparks coming out of my <laughs> front caliper incredible. at 50 miles an hour. Oh my God. And my front brakes just stopped working. And by the time I got to the bottom, the 203 millimeter rotor was almost on fire, kind of glowing this soft brown. It was Whoa. really bad. It was, yeah. So I took those off immediately and yeah. swore I'd never have Maguros ever again. And then. I think, I think I had their MT8s maybe. I can't remember what I had. I had their, I had those on a specialized. Okay. And they had power. They do have power. That's the power and modulation and they feel really good. Yeah. But that, you know, and that's just the thing though. Like they had modulation, but it had a vague engagement, imprecise feel. Yeah. 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 Like, a, yes. Yeah. Like, a uh, an imprecise engagement mm -hmm. point. Yeah. I absolutely. Guess. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I, whereas with the Shimano's with servo wave, even though I don't love the way it feels, you know, no, right. when it's, it's like, bam, happen. things yeah. are happening. Yeah. And the, sh and the SRAMs are, as long as you've done a bleed recently, all that stuff, same. Yeah. Like, you know, when they're going to hit. Yeah. But I, and it wasn't that the, the contact point would move every once in a while. It was just that I never, I, it kind of was like, you're not breaking, kind of breaking. Oh, you have a lot of power. And it wasn't like sudden anything like abrupt or anything. It was yeah. just kind of, it was more of like a vague feel, I mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. And and the other thing, the one thing I don't like about Maguras also is once you have to break them open and bleed them, the, I've never been able to have one be consistent ever again. Huh. And I I do not like their bleed procedure. It seems easy and foolproof, yeah. but it's not. I've never been able to actually bleed one properly, perfectly, 100% every single time. Interesting. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with the reservoir design of a brake, right? Yeah. And then the piston design and everything else. It's easy for some designs to, once air gets in, to get trapped there. Yeah. And unless you have a vacuum or something else to try to pull things out yeah. and you have fluid constantly running through or something like that yeah. uh, with like a specialized rig that they would have, then... It's going to be really tough. Exactly. Um, TRP. 
I only have a little bit of experience um, playing with them as far as like bleeding. They're super simple, just like Shimano's. They're very, I really do like TRP in that sense, mm. um, but I've never actually ridden them. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, either have I. It, could, it would be interesting to ride some. I don't know. They don't come on many OEM bikes. I can't think of any actually right now, but yeah. I'm sure they do that I'm just unaware of, but it'd be cool to ride them at Sedona, but just because I don't really have much experience on exactly. them. Exactly. Uh, the one thing I can say is that obviously they work well enough for Aaron Gwynn. Exactly. And if they work well enough for Aaron Gwynn, I figure they work well enough for me. Exactly. So, yeah. That's true. Uh, Hope brakes. They're very blingy. That's oh, what I think of. They're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, it's like a, a beautiful machined little block down mm-hmm. there on your rotor. Yeah. Uh, Same with your lever. Lever too. Yeah. And probably the most... The most, I, can I say the word intimate experience? <laughs> Pulling okay. that lever yeah. on a set of hopes, they're just the most amazing brakes in that sense. I love their lever assemblies, how they feel. Just everything about them is just really so good. precise and so smooth and so perfect. And the brakes are phenomenal all the way around. Huh. They're just so, expensive and hard to get. I've never used them either. <clears throat> um, I would be really interested in trying them them out. They're 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 really cool looking. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I will say, a temptation that will reside if you go to Hope Brakes, don't go nuts and get crazy anodized colors, yeah. and then you get a crazy anodized stem cap or a stem, and then you match your pedals to that, and then you match your seat post collar to that, no. and then you match your grips to as that. As long as you get black hope bad. brakes or yeah. silver hope brakes, you're yeah. good. Exactly. Yeah. Just don't, I'm not a fan of colored calipers like yeah. that. I think Magura does it tastefully with a little like plastic insert that they yeah. have that's like a different standout color. Yeah. It's done well. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm not a fan of the bright, crazy anodized colors of yeah. the hopes. Formulas. Formulas used to be great. Yeah. They were great a long time ago when they had the old, I believe it was uh, the the ones. Yes, the ones. They were called, yeah, yep. the formula, the ones. They make some really light ones. They mm-hmm. look really trick too. Yeah. They look like a, they look like a, a bespoke, like handmade factory part kind of. It's yeah. cool looking. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, I had a set of formula C1s. Okay. The most terrifying apparatuses that I don't even know if I want to call them a break. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was terrifying. Okay. Like I would do a fresh bleed on those things, which the bleed procedure was a bit of a pain on them. It was a pain. Yeah. It always has. Been. Um, but I would do a bleed on them and I would get no air coming out of the thing. So I figured I would be good. I would ride. And that thing was like Russian roulette to a new level. Mm-hmm. Like there were times where my lever would go all the way to my grip mm-hmm. after a fresh bleed. And I know that you're probably saying you just didn't bleed them right, but yeah. everyone had this problem. No matter what you did, you could not get the air out of them. Yeah. They're and very much like Maguro's in that sense. Oh my gosh, man. Like they were terrible brakes. Mm-hmm. They lacked power. Yeah. These are the C ones. I know that they have some other ones. I think the T one or something like that. That's like really powerful. Yeah. These ones lacked power. They lacked feel. They lacked consistency. They lacked adjustment. The formula C ones were the worst brakes I've ever had. Okay. Um, I do know they make good brakes that are higher end and very expensive. They're, yeah. they're high end ones. But yeah. Even their R1, R ones were finicky and everything like that, but yeah, they're the R1, better. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you want to be different, I feel like the best bet is to go with some hopes, maybe some absolutely. TRPs. Yes, absolutely. Those two would, you be, would be your go-tos. TRPs, I feel like TRPs are the ease of maintenance of Shimano with the look and feel of SRAM. Yeah. That's what I feel TRP did. Yeah, they're pretty cool, man. Yeah, I absolutely. really like them. Yep. Uh, so let's go over, I guess, for some things that you'd want to look for. And let's start with the weight weenie XC dudes. Okay. Obviously, weight mm-hmm. is something you'll want to look for. 
So every brand usually makes a light break. Yes, they do. Uh, but that usually comes at a couple costs. Mm-hmm. Number one, it might drop you down from having a multi, uh, multi-piston multi design. It'll drop it down to being something that's just going to be like a, like the- Two little pistons. Two little then. pistons. Yeah. So you usually lose power. Which is called every Shimano ever. Yes. Except for the Saint and the Z. And don't they have like a new XTR trail with a four piston? The XT Trail 8000 XT trail. that's yeah. four piston isn't going to be available till later in 2018, but yes, it's coming. Yeah. That will be much power. It will be. So, uh, but with XT ones, you usually get away from that a bit. But if you're a lighter guy and you're an XT racer, it might not matter. Like, for example, at 145-ish pounds, 145 to 150, for me, uh, the levels are just fine in terms of power. And I did fine on the the scalpel earlier this season on level ultimates as well, but I definitely fought the brake limit of those brakes. Yep. Yeah, and you're around 200, right? Yes. So so that's something to consider. Yeah. You'll drop weight with these XC ones, but it does come at a cost there. They also, a uh, way that this drives me nuts, the way that they save weight too is that they remove all of the adjustments. Yes. And honestly, it doesn't add that much weight. Yeah. Like to add in contact pad adjustment or to add in something like, for example, to add in a lever, like the lever reach adjustment. Yeah. Like in the end, you're probably going to be adding on like another 80 grams or something like that. Yeah. But if you're trying to build the, the lightest XC brake out there, then get that it. matters. That I 80 get grams it. changes things. I just wish that they had a level, they, uh, that they had like an adjust level, basically. Like a, a like, level, a level ultimate RSC. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like go. give yeah. me some adjustment because yeah. especially for example, with the levels, uh, you don't have those adjustment points. And they, what they do to make up for the perceived lack of power that you have is that you actually have a longer lever mm-hmm. on the levels. So then th- yeah. that way you get more leverage, very clever of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then that way you feel like you have more power. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't require as much hand force to get that force into the calipers. Exactly. So the, but the problem with that is that with that longer lever, you have a pretty long throw. And for people with smaller hands, that lever might be a little far out of reach. Yeah. So then what you end up doing is you move the lever closer in. So you're not reaching at the end of the lever. You're mm-hmm. reaching kind of toward the, toward the actual, the master cylinder region over there. Mm-hmm. And when you do that. Then you lose your brake force. <laughs> then you lose limits. your brake force. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of a pain. So I have to, with these ones, with the level ultimates, I have like a really weird bleeding procedure. Mm-hmm. So you usually, um, when you bleed brakes, you usually have pad gappers in there, or you just have the rotor in there yeah. and you're using that as like a gapping point to establish like where you should, you yeah. should be. Uh, I use that, mm-hmm. but then with these level ultimates, I actually end up closing these rotors down or closing the brake pads all the way down. Mm-hmm. And then I fill it up with fluid. I get all the air out. And then I actually make sure that the fluid's topped off like that. And then I slowly gap the pads back out. Okay. And I gap them out so that there's just enough clearance for my rotors so that they're not rubbing. Yeah. And then if I do that, then I have a really short throw with my lever. Yeah. That lever doesn't fly all the way into my grip. Okay. And that's something that like I found for me, I don't like my lever to get in close to my grip. Mm-hmm. I have plenty of control still with my hands with my lever way out there. Yeah. Um, I know like Richie Rude, for example, is the opposite. He likes his lever to get down really close to the grip. Yeah. But I like it to be further away. So when I do that, I have to do that weird bleed procedure that's kind of inconsistent. Yeah. So it's frustrating. Yeah. One of the things I've also noticed that helps with that is um, pulling a vacuum on the levels mm-hmm. seems to get seems to dislodge some air bubbles in the system that aren't there in other 
brake systems. Yep. You know, what I'll do is I'll just take like one of the SRAM, the, the really nice syringes, mm-hmm. and I'll pull a vacuum on it, and then I'll actually clamp it open and just leave it there for 30 minutes, and you just see little bubbles continuously coming time. and coming and coming. So that's actually what I did on yours the other day, um, and air bubbles kept coming as I, you know, eventually found out that that was because the hose has a hole in it. <laughs> so, but it wasn't, yeah. you know, it didn't, right. it, it made sense to me that all these air bubbles were coming out after I bled your brakes. So, yep. um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good, that's a really good idea to do. And I did that on my guides and, and my guide RSCs with Jaguar pads and, um, the Jaguar, uh, extreme centers and RT 86 Shimano rotors. Yeah. Finally liking my guides, like by the way. Yeah, I don't love them. I like them. Yeah. On the Super X, I've got the RT99 Frieza rotors yeah. with Jaguar pads and the Force 1s. Yeah. And I did that. I finally, you know, when I got the new frame set, I ended up putting a vacuum on the brake system and found tons of air bubbles in the system, got it all dialed, and go, oh, those brakes are better than my mountain bike, I think. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so, so which they're basically level calipers. They are level, yeah, they're level flat mount calipers, yeah. Yeah, uh, I do like the bleeding edge port that they have. Yep. It's really good yep. on the SRAM ones. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot um, because it's super easy to do. It is. Um, and the bleed procedure isn't as complex as it used to be with SRAM stuff. No. Um, the, so, and then, so you, I, I'm going to step back really quick on yes. those two adjustments. You have contact pad adjustment mm-hmm. and that's adjusting how close in relation your pads are going, or I should actually... It depends on the system, but it, what that really affects is how soon those pads are going to make contact mm-hmm. with the rotor in terms of your lever yes. pull, like, yes. right? So basically if you want it to, that lever to go into your, to your grip or close to your grip, so you feel like you have a closed fist and a lot of control, then you would adjust your contact pad adjustment more open. But if you wanted to have it so that there was a very short throw, you would close it down a little more. Yeah. Uh, then there's lever reach adjust and lever reach adjust is separate from that. That's just adjusting the position of your lever in yeah. its static position. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't go that way, then you have Shimano with the XTRs mm-hmm. and XTs and XTs XT to XTR. Do you think it's worth it? I think it's what 180 grams difference or is that too much? Yeah, um, it's, if you're talking XT versus XTR trail, yeah. it's a, I think it's about 180 grams per side. Okay. Or I'm sorry, 180 grams total. Overall. Overall. Uh-huh. Um, the big difference that you get is you get a stiffer caliper mm. out of the XTRs because okay. the XTR is a monoblock caliper. It's not two halves bolted together. Mm. It is literally a monoblock. And then what they do is they drill out each side of it and put a bolt in there to make it even stiffer. which is interesting. So what they're doing is they're taking this giant bolt head, threading the far end of the caliper and just sandwiching a monoblocked billet caliper together to create extra stiffness. That's what Alcon brakes does in, in the car world with their monoblock brakes. They were the ones who originally designed that. And then Brembo and everybody else knocked them off. Um, but yeah, that's actually a thing is the, the, the XTR, you'll be like, well, there's bolts holding that caliper together. Well, it's just for added stiffness. So monoblock piece. So that's a step up that I did not know you yet when you go from XT to XTR. Yeah. And that's not necessarily XTR race. That's just XTR. That's just the XTR trail, the 9020s. Okay. Yeah. Now, difference between XTR trail and XTR race. XTR trail to race, the biggest difference you're going to get, um, the XTR race goes to a titanium backed non finned brake pad. Okay. You so go- if you're a heavier rider and you might be putting a lot of heat into these brakes, those fins can help as heat act as heat sinks to yes. pull heat away from the pads and rotors. Yes. And, and the XTR race caliper will accept the finned ones, but when you buy it, 
They don't come gotcha. that way. They come with the titanium backed. Okay. Then you lose your ceramic pistons and you go to a plastic piston because they're lighter, less heat transfer though. So you're basically losing more of that. Yeah. The caliper is different as well. Um, it's got, you know, shaving all over it where it's just lighter. Mm -hmm. Then the lever itself is a, it's got no frills. You There's have to no use adjustments, a, right? No, there are adjustments, okay. you know, for your reach adjustment, instead of having the quick little four-sided, you know, um, handle on hand like one. you have on the on It's the just trails, an Allen key, right? It's a two and a half mil Allen key. Gotcha. So you have to do it the old school way of adjusting it. Yeah, peasant um, life, as uh, yeah, we call peasantry. it. Peasantry. Yes. <laughs> um, but that's, that's really the big difference. Also, okay. you get carbon blades on both of them. Yep. But the carbon blade on the race is lighter. The actual lever assembly and all of that is lighter on the race version. So there's a bunch of differences. It's not like they're just, you know, shaving weight here and there. It's a completely differently designed brake system. They're pretty too. Yeah. The trails are way prettier than the races, but the races are pretty too. They're, they're pretty, man. Yeah, um, so. really pretty looking brakes. Yeah. And they're extremely powerful still. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like they're the brake to beat there. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things Richie Rude always hated the servo wave, hmm. um, or not Richie Rude. Um, what am I talking about? Mr. Graves, perhaps? I'm talking Jared Graves, yeah. Yeah. So he did not like um, the servo wave assembly in the XTRs or the Saints. Yeah. So what he did uh, for a while, he would run the XTR race levers with Saint calipers. Hey, wow. Yeah. Wow. So that was, you Power. know, just, and those are things you can do within Shimano. You can totally change that mix kind of stuff match. and mix and match. And, and then, you know, you get, you know, the servo wave was supposed to increase your initial bite, which is what Graves didn't like. Yeah. So he wanted a smoother transition. He Makes wanted sense. more progression through, yeah. but with the outright breaking force of the St. Calipers. That's a good mix. Yeah. It was a really good mix. I really like how that guy goes about things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess with XC... You're gonna if you shave weight, just know that it usually comes at consequences, or it comes at the cost of perhaps losing power, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps losing adjustment, and also losing stiffness. Yes, yeah, Perfect. stiffness which of the stiffness lever, within, stiffness of the caliper, stiffness of which a would lot then of affect the performance, the performance of the brake overall. Yep, yeah. yep, absolutely. Yeah. Now enduro trail, so we're talking like. Uh, let's just talk like average folks. Mm -hmm. This is where I feel like if you have a set of XTs, you're fine. Absolutely. You could even get by with some SLXs. Oh, SLXs would be great too. They're yeah. great. Yeah. Um, I feel like you can get a get by with cheaper brakes. Mm -hmm. And you, when you're talking XT to SLX, I'm not sure of the weight difference, but I don't assume that it's anything too not massive. Much, not a bunch of weight difference. You're really talking at that point. You're just talking a couple adjustments. And then you're talking, uh, you know, a, a lot lower in cost. Yeah. Um, you're talking 70 versus 110. Yeah. So a set of breaks. you can save quite a lot of money on that. Um, yeah. And then the guides, uh, the guide has the RSC, the guide R, and then the- Well, the guide guide RSC the, is the top line. Then yeah. there's the RS, then there's RS, the R. And then there's the R, and then there's the T. Yeah. The uh, T is the- why? Yeah, yeah. They should just call it the guide Y. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the new one that's like a more budget version of that even. Yeah. So I would say that that's, I don't know if that's analogous to like the Shimano's that aren't even SLX necessarily. That'd be the Dior, the, the M615, I believe right. is the, the non. Oh, M615. Why didn't I think yeah. of that? It makes Sorry. perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking Shimano. <laughs> well, no, uh, that's, that's, so that's what they do. The, the 6,000 series or 600 series is Dior. 700 or 7,000 is usually SLX. 800 or 8,000 is XT, except that it used to be the sevens, like yeah. 785s are XTs. Now yeah. the eights are. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm going to stop now because yeah. I'm just convoluting <laughs> it even more. Yeah, Shimano, get your get I, your stuff together. I think Guide R is Guide Reach. Yes. 
guide RSC is reach something contact mm-hmm. for a contact adjustment. I forget what the S is. And I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah. anyways, they have like meaningful <clears throat> acronyms. They do. Them. Yeah. T, I'm not sure. Uh, Who knows? Yeah. We can whatever. make up whatever we want. Uh, you can make up whatever you want if you're listening to this. Yeah. Um, but the cool part about this is I would start to look though, if you're going from the trail side over to Enduro, then I would start to be looking more toward power. Yes. So this is where I'd be looking at in the SRAM line coming up, or I should say now they're out, the codes yeah. that you can get. Uh, the upcoming four-piston ones from from Shimano will provide plenty of power, but most people get by just fine without With those. regular XT. Yeah, yeah they're just fine. Yeah. So I don't know if you'll need extra. Like my brother's a big guy. He's a Clydesdale on a bike. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, he's, I want to make sure I said on a bike because he's not a Clydesdale. He's, yeah. he's actually a human. He's right. not a large draft horse. So, yeah. um, but uh, anyways, th- those ones... I feel like you don't have to worry about getting into like the four piston calipers until you're really talking gnarly stuff. Like we're even like, like downhill stuff maybe. Um, but even then with downhill, a lot of the time you don't necessarily need a lot of braking power or more braking power than what you could get with something else as Mm -hmm. much as you need ability to resist fade. Yeah. Right. Cause that's a really big important thing with, Mm -hmm. with downhill stuff is you need a lot of control and modulation and fade because you're dealing with like terrain that's got you on the limits of everything. Yeah. And then who knows how long that could last. Yeah. So the thing that what you have to remember is when you when you when you build a braking system, especially for something that's like gnarly enduro and into downhill, where you're testing the limits of everything on the bike, not just the brakes. So sea otter enduro. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The short course. <laughs> so when you start talking about that, you need to start considering other physics related things when it comes to brakes. You need to start looking at swept area. You need to start looking at the just the pad contact area on the rotor. The more mm-hmm. pad material you have, the more heat you can pull away from mm. the rotor surface or from the braking surface. Yep. The larger diameter rotor, the more material in the rotor you have all the way around. Mm-hmm. The b- larger diameter, the longer it has to cool before it spins back around. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of different thermodynamics and, you know, just pressure related and there's so many different things that that play into that. And when you get really, really micro, like get into that microchasm of braking, that's where four piston calipers start to shine. Yep. Because four piston calipers have what they have more braking surface within the piston itself. Yes. On the you know on the the fluid side. Yep. With that, you also have two pistons, so you have more volume of piston, which yep. means more heat. Uh, expansion, more ability for it to pull heat away from the surface and disperse it yep. before it gets into the fluid. And also having two pistons pushing on that larger brake pad yes, rather than having just one, or I should say two pistons per side rather than just having one per side yeah. also should, in theory, allow you to or allow those pistons. They don't have to be pushing quite as hard against that. Right? Exactly. Or so, that they can push just as hard and make more braking make more force. power. Yes. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, something else with rotors that I think a lot of people don't, or they perhaps misunderstand is a larger rotor. Also, you're grabbing further out from the center of that wheels, um, from that wheels rotation, it's axis. Yes. So as a result, you have more leverage over that when you're braking as well. Yeah. So more leverage means theoretically, if you needed to stop within 50 feet, if you had a greater or larger rotor size, you would then need less force at that because you would have greater leverage. Exactly. So that's a, in terms of why you would go to bigger rotors, it in the end can come down to plenty of different things. Could be less hand fatigue, Mm -hmm. uh, could be less brake fade. Could be anything else like that. 
Um, and I think that, like you said, the larger, you'll see that pads get larger and larger. Whereas with like my levels, the pads are super tiny, yeah. right? They're like a, they're like somebody's fat thumbnail. Yeah. But if you go into something with like a four piston, it's going to be pretty big. Yeah. So, yeah. um, something I wanted to touch on with brakes, I think, and we've mentioned this plenty of times. You mentioned that you use the Jaguar pro pads or anything else like the that. extremes. Yeah. Extremes. Extreme centers. And yeah. I'm using the pros, I think yeah. on my levels, uh, I, I get a total, I get a big difference. Mm-hmm. So certain, the pads will change your braking experience. Mm-hmm. And I do think that trying to skimp on pads is a bad decision. Very bad. As we learned from last episode, we had the, yes. the listener right in. Squealing nonstop the brakes were. Yeah. I think that if you go for something better than that, then you can see a big difference. Now, I, at one point when I have my Maguras, I actually switched to Galfer brake pads. Okay. Galfer, I used to use their stuff in the motocross in the world. Moment, yeah. They have incredible rotors mm-hmm. that take a Nissan brake or even a Brembo brake. And if you had a Galfer rotor on there, you would notice a massive difference in braking performance. Okay. Uh, they did, I think, accumulate a little more heat than okay. most, but it was they were incredibly good. Yeah. Uh, they're wave rotors, They then they're known for that. Uh, they make really good stuff. A brand like Galfer, try them out. Those Jaguar Pro or Extreme pads, try them out. Yeah. But try out the highest end ones that you can on those pads, like because that's when you're going to see a real difference instead of going for like a budget one. Yeah. Um, centered pads, when are they good? Well, so so here's the thing. Also, within the pad world, there is so many different. I guess the terminology is used with semi-metallic or metallic or centered is a very vague term because. Even an organic pad still is made up of almost 50% of steel wool mesh, so it's which is what a semi-metallic, semi-metallic. pad is based in. Yeah. So it's still – it's really just the percentages of what is in that you know pad that change what everybody says they are. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you really just have to kind of try them. Okay. And, and, I mean, are certain can, pads better for wet conditions or certain pads better yes. for like dry conditions? Uh, resin pads in wet and muddy conditions will be gone in a day. Okay. They break down fast and they also don't like heat. Okay. When you start getting into stuff where you are going to be heating up your brakes a lot more, you need to start getting into more of a semi-metallic branded pad. Gotcha. When you're talking, I want my brakes to work when they are ridiculously hot, you go centered. Centered, they don't really start working until they hit a higher temp than even resins are meant to run at. Interesting. So like when I, like with my bike, with the the Jekyll, the first thing I have to do when I ride it is I actually have to just ride the brakes for the first section of it to heat those pads up so that they'll work. Bed those suckers in. Not not bed them. You have to heat them up. Just heat them up? Yeah. You have to actually heat them up for them to create the friction coefficients in order to actually start stopping you. Easy with friction coefficients. That's math things. <clears throat> I we know. Got, we got nerdy right there. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I, so if you're in dry conditions, what type of pad is best? And it's not like extreme heat conditions in terms of breaking down like a really big downhill. I think a good top-end semi-metallic like a Jaguar Pro or an OEM Shimano fin rotor mm-hmm. or even the um, – the, I guess you could use um, the factory SRAM um, – um, steel back semi-metallics, yeah. those would work fine. Okay. Um, that's a good all around pad for dry conditions, for wet conditions. They're just, metallics will be a little squealy in wet. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas resins typically aren't and resins are typically quieter all the time. Okay. But that resin, if you're riding in like the Pacific Northwest and it's wet and it's, it's really bad, that resin could just chunk it's just apart. Gone. And it's gone. Yeah, it's yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a oh a fluid. That's something we didn't cover. Mm-hmm. Fluid. 
uh, with Shimano, don't you use mineral oil? Use mineral oil. Yeah. And Same with Magura. Is there a specific type of mineral oil that you recommend? I mean, you can use anything. I just use Shimano's stock stuff because okay. you, I mean, you can't go to the, you know, to Home Depot and get mineral oil there and use that. Okay. So I just use Shimano stuff on Shimano because one, I've never had a single issue with it, mm -hmm. but the thing that I do recommend is rec I recommend flushing the Shimano stuff every season of hard riding. Okay. Because you will notice that if you go to bleed it, it'll come out black. That mineral oil that breaks mineral down. mineral oil does break down fasted. Yeah. I feel like you could just like run some black coffee through some Shimano's and they'd work. Probably. <laughs> like, yeah. Just yeah. spit in the reservoir. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then when you're dealing with SRAM brakes, they take a uh, specific brake fluid. Yes. Uh, dot four. Is that correct? It's, so, so within, within dot fluid, um, <laughs> dot three, yeah. dot four yes. and dot 5.1. I know the difference. Five dots, four dots, three dots. Correct. Sure. No. Yeah. <laughs> there's no dots. No, there's not. Oh, shoot. So, uh, three, four and 5.1 are all hydraulic based. Okay. Brake fluid. Okay. And those three brake fluids are just simply different boiling point standards of, so three is the most basic four has a higher boiling point. 5.1 has an even higher boiling point. Then there's dot five, which is silicone based, which is okay. what German cars use. Nobody uses that in the automotive or in the, the bike world. So which one do you recommend? I actually, the only fluid that I will use in any dot fluid type braking system is, um, I use Motul's RBF 660. RBF 660 is yeah. a dot five. It is dot 5.1 yeah. and it is a racing fluid for in the automotive industry. You can get it from any uh, motorcycle shop. You can get it from any, you know, high performance car shop, or you can get it on Amazon. Where I notice a difference with that is in time between bleeds and also under extreme heat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The biggest thing is heat. And then also it is a, you do get a different lever feel because mm -hmm. that fluid is so much, I don't really know how to describe it. You just get a stiffer lever feel yeah. out of the RBF 660 or it just any good high-end fluid, but Motul is pretty much the top. I feel like we just covered a lot on brakes. I think we did. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that we forgot? <sighs> yes, probably. Sure. There's always stuff we forgot. <laughs> if we did forget something, people can go to mtbpodcast.com. Submit a question. And, yep. And let us know. Let us know what type of black coffee you run and how much creamer you run through your exactly. Shimano brakes. Yeah. Do you shade tree Mexican or do you use <laughs> Colombian? <laughs> Whatever Maybe it some may Hawaiian be. beans. Yes. Yeah. What do you use in your Shimano? Exactly. Maybe yeah. it's cocoa. Uh, anyways, uh, whatever questions you have on breaks, let us know. And we'll come to those on the, on the next episode before we close out, Steven, let's do the tips. Tips. You don't care. They'd count on your tips to live. All right. Uh, I'm going to start this week. Uh, my tip is actually, so I'm, I'm, I'm building up my, my wife's 4.5, the one that I never built up last year. Mm -hmm. Life hit us with many crosses, jabs, uppercuts, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we just never had money to be able to put into building up her bike. Yeah. So, uh, now, uh, we are building it up and I'm getting a set of stands wheels for it. I was on their website. I was looking at it. They have so a problem that I think a lot of people come up against mm -hmm. carbon wheels. People want to buy them. Okay. They look at prices. They go, Oh no. So then they go to eBay and they say, Oh yes. Mm -hmm. And they find Chinese carbon clincher from like a uh, China carbon world. Right. And then they go and buy that. 
And then they find out that the hub has like no brand name. They have no clue what it is. Yeah. And then they have a problem with it. Like a bearing goes out. Turns out it uses unique bearings or they lose a cup or they lose a spring or one of the paws breaks or they need a new free That's hub. That's a no name free hub. And, and you who, can't get yeah. it. Yep. Right. Yep. So this was something super cool. I went on the stand site and I looked at all the hub parts. They have pages and pages of hub parts. They can, they sell every single thing yep. that you could have to rebuild a hub from scratch. Mm-hmm. And it's dirt cheap. 50 cent Paul Springs. That's right. It's awesome. Yeah. So that's my tip. Short and easy. Uh, when you look for wheel sets, look for something like a company from stands or look yeah. for a company that actually sells the parts for the hubs or that uses hubs that have parts that you can buy. Yeah. That's it. Look at you. Yeah. Just quick and dirty. There I liked are. it. Yours. Um, wow. Uh, talking about hubs. Yeah, <laughs> there we are. So, um, last year at Sea Otter, um, Raceface released their their new Nexstar hubs with the or Nexstar wheels with the vault hubs, mm-hmm. which I r- talked about them. I really like the design of them. It's I cool really like the idea of doing the drivering and everything backwards and having three degree engagement. And it's just a really good setup. Mm-hmm. Except that those hubs were straight pull and specific for that wheel set. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. I saw this news tip and yeah. I thought of you actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it's cool. They've actually came out with a J pole version that you could just buy as a hub and build up, build up your own wheel set and have race faces, nice, easy, replaceable free hub with a pretty bomb proof drive system. It's awesome. And it's XD Shimano, all of that. It's a good setup. You know what I'm hoping for that we see at sea otter sticking on the line of hubs here. <clears throat> I'm hoping that we see this year at sea otter, some silent hubs, more of them, more instead of, them. of just Onyx or anything. You know, I want to see yeah. a bunch of silent hubs. Yeah, I'm really excited to um, to play with the new Project Three Two Ones in the Quiet, um, the Quiet Hub. Yeah. There's actually something that they're supposedly working on that's going to be better than what they currently have. We just uh, did. We just leak some some excitement. No, I, I think they were talking about it at Seattle last year, but they were. It was still in the development stage. So, gotcha. But, hey, cool. Yeah. All right, Stephen. That covers it for this one. Well, what should we do? Uh, we should tell people that they can go to mtbpodcast.com. They can submit questions. They can share things. Please share the podcast. Yes. It's probably the most helpful thing you can do. Yeah. Uh, buy some swag on there on the store. Uh, we just got the stickers in, by the way. Yes. I got to bring them for you. That's I, okay. I shoot. Um, but we got the stickers, so those will be up on the... We only have a small limited run. Okay. So they're going to sell through pretty quick. They have a clear back, and it's either one color black of the logo on there and with like a clear backdrop. So okay. it looks like a die cut or one color white. Nice. So classy, very awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll look good on your windows, on Sweet. your cars. So uh, anyways, you can go on there. You can get those things that will help us create more unique content for y'all. And I guess we'll talk to people next week. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.